you know, I can't understand why some Catholics are content to being Sunday Catholics. They're happy and content to do the bare minimum for our salvation. Go to Mass once a week. Go to confession once in a while. Love God. Love our neighbor. Don't offend God. Don't offend our neighbor. They don't want to get involved with the issues surrounding the Catholic Church. They just want to do the bare minimum. You know, I'm not saying this is wrong. After all, these are the requirements for our salvation. What I'm trying to say here is we can do more for God and for the church. We can evangelize and help convert sinners. We can promote unity within the Catholic Church. And we can build strong domestic church, especially within our families. We can also be vocal in professing our faith, especially against the enemies of our Catholic Church. Revelation chapter 3 says this, I know your works. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. See, I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to do the bare minimum. And I take inspiration from St. Maximilian Kolbe, a man who was full of zealousness to serve God in the hands of Mary, a man who personified John chapter 15, verse 13, a man who was great love, that he offered his life, and I mean literally offered his life for others. Friends, today I'm with Mr. John Galton, former president of the Milita Emokolata in the U.S., my name is Ted Patulan, and this is the Cause of Our Joy podcast. Hello, friends. You know, I began this podcast because of St. Maximilian Kolbe. Because, you know, I have this deep desire to tell people about Mary because I know that she's the only one who could lead us closer to Jesus. And you know what? It was St. Maximilian Kolbe who gave me the courage to start this. We are very blessed today because we have Mr. John Galton, former president of the Milita Immaculata in the U.S., and he will talk about St. Maximilian Kolbe and his Mayan consecration. Hello, John. Thanks for being hello, here. Hello, Ted. How are you? I'm, I'm really good, and I'm really pleased, and I, I'm really grateful that you said yes to this invitation, John. Well, it's always my pleasure to talk about St. Maximilian and also talk to my friends in England. John, I normally begin by offering uh, any, any podcast um, to our Blessed Mother. Shall we pray? Sure. Excellent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Mary, our Mother, we offer to you our hearts, our desires, our weaknesses, our happiness. We give you this podcast. Remove what's not needed and amplify anything that will, that will bring more glory to the Holy Trinity. We entrust this recording, this podcast, to your Immaculate Heart. O Mary, conceive without sin. Pray for us who have recourse to you and those who do not have recourse to you. St. Maximilian Kolbe, pray, pray for, for us. us. Our Lady Immaculata, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know what, my dear friends, when I invited John to this uh, to be a guest here, I sent him a long email about who I am. Because you know what? He doesn't know me. But I feel like I've known John for quite some time now because I read his uh, monthly mes messages in the newsletter of the Milita Immaculata in the U.S. And you know what? Before we um, ask John any questions, please log on to, please go to the website, militiaofthemaculata.com. 
and subscribe to their daily Colby messages. Anyway, John, what I wanted to ask you first is, what made you become a Knight of the Immaculata? Well, it's a kind of a long story, and I'll try to make it shorter. Uh, I started teaching after I got out of the United States Army. Uh, spent a year in a couple of years in Western Germany, and then a year in Vietnam during the war there. And came back, went to went to graduate school in theology, and I started teaching. I've always had devotion to Our Lady. I mean, she's been part and parcel of my life as a Catholic, all of my life. Uh, and uh, I have a great devotion to her. Mm. I didn't know much about St. Maximilian, but I started teaching religion in a Catholic high school in the late 1960s and early 1970s. A very hard time mm. to start teaching religion. Uh, but uh, I was uh, filled with zeal for the church. Uh, Vatican II was still in the air. You know, you felt that that scintillating, scintillating crackling energy that the that was liberated in the church. But I found that already in America, at least, and I'm sure this is true for Europe and perhaps England, secularization had took over, particularly among the young. They were very vulnerable to all the changes, particularly the sexual revolution when so many uh, of the, of the of values of Christianity uh, suddenly were, it was like amnesia had happened. Everybody forgot about these things. Mm -hmm. And so I, after a couple of years of that, uh, the MI came out from Midwest America, which is very far away. America is a big okay. country. And they asked me to start teaching in their summer schools for young people. And, um, <clears throat> They began to pester me a little bit about about the MI. And I said, well, wait a minute now. I'm defending Our Lady all the time. I teach Our Lady. Uh, what do I need with another organization? You know what I mean, Ted? I was a young teacher, mm. full of myself. Uh, anyway, they kept pestering me. And, um, and I kept, of course, uh, like a stubborn young man, resisting all that. But then I had occasion to, to go to Europe for a, a theological meeting. And I was going through Naples and it was very hot. I was on my way to Pompeii. And uh, I stopped because it was very hot. I put my suitcases down and I put my hand on a pedestal of a, of a statue in a small piazza. Mm. And I looked up and here was a statue of St. Maximilian Kobe. Okay. Because he left from there to go to Japan on his missionary work for the MI. Anyway, long story short, I said, okay, okay, St. Maximilian, okay. You've run me down here. I'm, I'm, uh, I will make my total consecration, which I did do. But also at the same time, as I had been teaching young people, I came to a conclusion, Ted, that what was missing in their lives was an appreciation and awareness, a consciousness, of the person of Jesus and his mother, Mary. Amen. And I thought, why would anyone become a Christian if you didn't have both those people at the center of your heart? You know what I mean? That's what makes Christianity live, the church live. So I began working much more assiduously. And then I worked in uh, university for about uh, 27 years, and uh, but all the while uh, I've been uh, 
promoting the MI because I see St. Maximilian and total consecration to Our Lady as the privileged way to come to know and love her son, who is the, who is the Redeemer, uh, our hope of salvation. And uh, that, that's how I became involved in the MI. You might be interested in knowing that I just had my 81st birthday. Oh, so wow. I've been at this for a long time. <laughs> wow. You know what, John? I just realized you have so much similarities with St. Maximilian. Um, you serve in the army. He wanted to join the forces. You both yes. love Mary and you're both teachers. John, what's your personal take on why we should learn about the life of St. Maximilian again? You know, I want to go back to a statement that John Paul made about him uh, during the canonization process. Uh-huh. He said, he is the saint for our difficult century, meaning the last century. Uh, what typified the last century? I mean, how can we gauge? Uh, let's look at the negative side for a while. I mean, then, you know, one third of the world population-wise was under international communism, mm -hmm. atheistic materialism. And those people just didn't know about God and had been frustrated to seek God for for 70 years, mm -hmm. what a crushing burden. Two world wars in which Europe was decimated and America lost a lot of people. It's the most blood-soaked century in all of human history uh, because technology and, and what have you has now made uh, killing on an industrial scale possible. Second, thirdly, I think what happened was that secularism as a philosophy uh, began to overwhelm not only the East, that is Russia, China, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. but also the Western world, you know, North America, uh, Europe, uh, uh, other parts of the world. And um, I think Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian novelist, said it very well when he gave a talk at Harvard, that when the world forgets God, things go very, very, very badly wrong. So St. Maximilian uh, had, a, had a message. He was a saint. He's a saint for our times. I don't know how else to say it. And John Paul, St. John Paul, his, so to speak, spiritual son, he was deeply influenced by St. Maximilian. I mean, look what happened when he became Pope. Holy mackerel. The whole, the whole world was transfixed by John Paul's ardor and the fact that he himself was totally consecrated to Our Lady and became a great saint and a teaching pope because of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I know uh, England and Europe and, and North America and other parts of the world are engulfed by this terrible scourge called abortion in, in which you think we would have learned something from World War II and the terrible terrible loss of life, particularly in the, the death camps, but also the gulag in the Soviet Union. But abortion is a scourge in our country now. And uh, shockingly, one out of five babies conceived in America is aborted, is killed. Uh -huh. I mean, these are, so what has happened that we could have forgotten the value and dignity of human life to such mm -hmm. an extent? Well, basically, because we're forgetting God, who is the one who keeps us really honest about what is true, what is good, what is evil.
So I see Saint Maximilian as the great saint who reintroduces us to the Immaculate Virgin, whose whole job with her spiritual spouse, the Holy Spirit, is to draw all men to a deeper union with her son, who is the savior of the world. Now you mentioned two uh, Polish po uh, saints. Uh, you have Saint John Paul and of course Saint Maximilian. Now, most people know that uh, Poland is a Catholic country who has special devotion to Our Lady. In fact, we're celebrating today the Feast of Our Lady of Czestochowa. Um, so Poles have this natural love for a Blessed Mother. But aside from being a Pole, most people also know that St. Maximilian had an encounter with her Blessed Mother at a very young yeah. age. Can you share with us this story, John? Sure. Uh, he was a, a young boy. And uh, his mother and father were weavers, mm -hmm. and they had to go and they had to weave cloth from, from morning till practically nightfall. And so uh, St. Maximilian's mother uh, told him he had two jobs to do. One was to watch his little brother, who was prone to wandering off and getting lost. And the second was to watch the potato soup and make sure it didn't burn. So St. She, they left for work. She came back in the evening. Of course, the little brother was nowhere to be found. And the potato soup was burned. And the mother uh, came back and, and it was time for Raymond, as St. As Maximilian was known as a boy. Did Raymond go get the strap? So he went and got the strap and he, he got his, uh, his strapping. And he thanked her for it. And he said, thank you. Mamushka, he, that's, he used to call her Mamushka. Yes. Thank you, Mamusha, for that. And thank you for the future one that I will get when I'm not obedient again. But then she said something to him that cut him to the heart. Mm. She said, Raymond, what is going to become of you? Now, every mother every, who, who is watching this program has said that probably to her children. Yep. What is going to become of you? I know my mother said it to me, me too. more than once. <laughs> anyway, that cut him to the heart. And he ran down the street to the private church called St. Matthew's, mm -hmm. plunked himself down on his knees before the statue of Our Lady and asked her uh, through his tears, you know, pleading that he had caused his mother grief and tears. And he asked her the same question, what is to become of me? All of a sudden, Our Lady appeared to him and offered him two crowns, a red crown for martyrdom, a white crown for purity. And he and offered him a choice, which is very, very interesting mm -hmm. that, that the Blessed Virgin didn't assign him a task, but offered him a choice. And in his, his youthful generosity, he said, I will take both. And then that was the end of that. To our best of our knowledge, that's the only time she appeared to him uh, in his whole life, although they had a deep and fundal and fundamental and profound relationship all his life. But that's how he uh, desired eventually to become a priest. Uh -huh. And that's how he ended up being a martyr. And it wasn't just on the day of his martyrdom that, that he practiced uh, he, he lived all of his life, simplicity and poverty mm -hmm. to a heroic level. He, he once said to someone when he was very young, 
help me always to love to the utmost. And he practiced that day in and day out, which is a kind of a way of the cross because it's telling our selfish self no all the time. Uh-huh. So that's how I would say, in addition to the Polish tradition of, of love for Mary and her son, uh, it was this fundamental uh, apparition that galvanized his spirit. Yeah. I think it's also important to note that uh, Raymond Colby um, had Catholic parents. He, they had uh, a Catholic upbringing. Um, his parents are really devout Catholics. In fact, I yeah. think they were um, uh, third order Franciscans. They were, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, she, after the husband uh, passed away, she became a nun. Oh, Okay. Be, you know, because she herself was so devoted to her faith that uh, she decided to enter the convent after Raymond and his brother entered the Franciscan seminary. I see. So, yeah, so it's, it's just a message for all of us that, you know, building our domestic church is really important because that's actually, um, th- th- this message goes way back to Genesis. Um, anyway, um, John, you know, you mentioned two crowns. One of the crowns is very much linked to his priesthood, the crown of purity. Most people know that St. Maximilian is a great Marian saint, but what some Catholics don't know is he's actually a very intelligent man. He oh. holds two doctorates. He, he has a doctorate in philosophy and doctorate in theology. Yes. How was he yeah. as a priest? Well, it's kind of interesting. I think people had a variety of reactions to him, uh, Ted. Uh, everyone, at, after a certain point, said, that the minute he entered the room, two things became apparent. Number one, his humility, his simplicity, his childlikeness. Uh, For all of his prodigious intellectual talents, uh, there was a deep simplicity and humility about him that touched everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, His instantaneous love for everyone. Uh, Throughout even his incarceration by the Wehrmacht and later by the uh, SS troops, he counseled the prisoners to love them, to not hate, don't hate the guards, was his constant message. Uh, Only love is creative, he said. Only love is creative. Uh, The second thing about him that people uh, were impressed was his holiness, that there was a kind of an aura of of sanctity about him, that that when he walked into the room, people turned their heads, Mm -hmm. not because he was a a magnificent, towering specimen of manhood, but because they were understood they were in the presence of a very holy person. You know, I had the occasion in the past, uh, Ted, to meet Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Wow. and, And to have conversations with her. Let me tell you, uh, First of all, she was very tiny. I bet you under, under five feet. Okay. And, and thin, and and shriveled up, little old lady. Uh, she had a very strong handshake. I mean, mm-hmm. she had this handshake of a of a peasant, of a hardworking peasant. But the minute you were in her presence, you stopped talking stupid, because you knew that she knew what was real and what was not real. And so her very presence called you to recollection. 
and prayer and a certain seriousness. But Maximilian also had a great, uh, happy, joyous personality, always making little jokes, always putting people at ease. Uh, he was a real joyous personality. Mm-hmm. John, I'm actually pleased that you mentioned his joyous personality because I believe that even before he became a priest, he suffered from tuberculosis. Am I correct? He did all of his life. Uh-huh. He had several times after the seminary, he had to go for a year in sanatorium to recover his health. I think it's I think it's true that he had about one quarter of one lung that was was fo- totally functioning. Wow! And so it's amazing that his brutally long work hours uh-huh. and and the way he drove himself and his friars. Uh, it's almost impossible to comprehend how could he have done this. Uh, in Japan, he, he was under a doctor's care uh, when he went there as a missionary. And even at Auschwitz, he was there for a number of months. Brutal work schedules, starvation rations. And yet he worked with all the other prisoners and uh, was subject to particular beatings. In fact, they beat him so bad one time. Mm-hmm. They thought he was going to die from the effects of the beating. So, in effect, what he had was supernatural grace to overcome the weakness of his diseased, ravaged body. Mm-hmm. Now, despite his illness, of course, uh, his mission was to build cities for Mary, and he actually did it. In fact, I can't think of any other saint who could claim that they built a city for Mary. How did he do it, John? Well, first of all, you believe it. You, know, you believe that she is the mother of the Savior and the spouse of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it might be interesting, uh, Ted, just to go back a little bit in Franciscan mm-hmm. history and talk about where he got this. Uh, even in the when Francis founded the Franciscans, he consecrated the whole order to Our Lady. Yes. I mean, he was no fool. Mm-hmm. He understood what side of the bread his butter was on, and he made sure that the Franciscans were under the patronage of, of Our Lady herself. And he called the order. He says, this is your order. Mm-hmm. You do with us as, as you will. And all through the centuries, uh, the Franciscans defended uh, the Immaculate Conception as a dogma. Now, nobody in the church doubted that. I mean, but it hadn't been solemnly defined. No. So for hundreds of years, they defended, theologically speaking, the necessity of the of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, And of course, that was solemnly defined in 1854. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, Our Lady appeared at Lourdes. And in the course of her appearances to St. Bernadette Subaru, uh, she, uh, w- the, the local Bishop Barno, he kept grilling, uh, questioning uh, St. Bernadette because everyone thought she was crazy or, or demented or an overwrought teenager. And he said to her, you ask that lady who she is. Mm-hmm. You ask her. Because all Bernadette could say about her was the, the beautiful lady. The beautiful lady said this. The beautiful lady said that. And uh, so she went and dutifully, she asked Our Lady, who are you? Who are you? Now, the logical thing for Our Lady to say, I'm Jesus' mother. I'm Mary of Nazareth. 
uh, and give whatever zip code or social security number they had in those days. But she doesn't do that. No. Bernadette says she folded her hands and bowed her head in humility and said, I am the Immaculate Conception. She did not say I was immaculately conceived. She said, I am the Immaculate Conception. Amen. And at defining herself. And so Maximilian was fascinated by this. Now, the Franciscans, you could say in a certain sense, they defended the necessity of the Immaculate Conception. They were, as an order, totally consecrated to Our Lady. In a special way, they had devotion to the Immaculate Conception. And Maximilian kept asking all of his life, praying, who are you, O Immaculate mm -hmm. Conception? And over the years, through prayer and study and suffering, uh, Maximilian came to understand, and he he that she was. Uh, uh, he, he developed this little spiritual theology. So let me elaborate that just mm -hmm. for a second, so you get an idea of why he saw her as so key to the the modern world and and. Uh, what we might call the new evangelization. He reasoned that it, the Holy Spirit himself was the uncreated immaculate conception. Mm -hmm. That is, he's the result of the love for the Father and the Son together. Uh -huh. And that love is so profound and so deep that forever and ever and ever, from all before all time, the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit is generated as the love between the Father and the Son. So he's the uncreated immaculate conception. And then he, the Holy Spirit, as he uh, uh, gave her the gift, Christ borrowed, so to speak, against Christ's redeeming death and created a, a soul so perfect, so sublime, that nothing in creation could equal it. Mm -hmm. So Mary then, you could say, is the spiritual spouse of the Holy Spirit. And what's the job of the Holy Spirit? His job, as, as Jesus promised in the Gospel of St. John, is to give us life, mm -hmm. to draw all men to Christ, to lead us into the depths of, of God himself uh, in a spiritual union, mm -hmm. to make Christ known and loved throughout the world, and to give us the power to believe, to live the supernatural life of grace, that we call Trinitarian life. So Mary and the Holy Spirit, now we live in their age. They are here to make Christ known, make Christ loved, mm -hmm. uh, and to lead all men to Christ. And so Maximilian saw that in a deep and fundamental vision. And so he wanted everybody to know that and everybody to become, so to speak, sons and daughters of Our Lady so that she could quickly lead them to the depths of Trinitarian mm -hmm. love through the sun. Too many words, uh, Ted, but it's really worth it kind of looking back and seeing how Maximilian figured it out. So you know, one of her titles, uh, Ted, interesting, is called The Key of Heaven. Uh -huh. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. So, and, and of course, the key himself is Christ himself. He's the one by his suffering and death and resurrection open the doors wide to heaven. But Our Lady now with her spouse, the Holy Spirit, leads us quickly to that knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. 
who who can deny that gift? You know what I mean? Who can say, well, I don't want to take an easy way to heaven, and she's the easy way. St. Maximilian built a city for Mary in Poland, and then eventually it got bigger. He was able to buy a plane, an airplane, I think. <laughs> well, he had an airport. And he had yeah, a radio it was really on fire. Yeah. He was absolutely, he had several publications that were nationwide, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of copies, a daily newspaper that went all over Poland via air and railroads. I mean, he was experimenting with the beginnings of television yeah. already in uh, uh, Poland. Uh -huh. And then he went to Japan. He did. Yeah. Not knowing the language. Uh-huh. Founded a, a no house. A, no house. Nothing. Nothing. He, he started with his Franciscan brothers, a new city of the Immaculate. Within one month, in Japanese, he had a, a magazine, The Night of the Immaculata, mm -hmm. uh, promoted throughout Japan. 10,000 copies in one month. That's miraculous. And he wanted to go to India. Am I correct? He wanted to go to India. He wanted to go to uh, China. Uh -huh. In fact, he stopped in China on the way to Japan. But the local bishop there wanted something different and, and didn't encourage Maximilian to start it there. But he wanted to go to India. And, and of course, the Polish friars came to America and founded Marytown, uh, first in Wisconsin and then in Libertyville, uh -huh. Illinois. John, before we go to the topic of Marian consecration, can you just share with, with us once again, in a nutshell, this very profound and beautiful story of how he obtained the crown of martyrdom? When the Germans invaded, when the Nazis invaded Poland, they, of course, had lists of people uh, to be executed uh, or imprisoned or both. Uh, he was briefly put into not a consecration concentration camp, but in a relocation camp with a lot of the friars. Mm -hmm. uh, they were released from that be because of their, their goodness and their kindness. And he was too he dangerous. He was too mm -hmm. dangerous in prison because he was converting everybody. He was, he was, he was. E even even the, the commandant of that relocation camp became a friend to Kolbe and, mm -hmm. uh, and the, uh, went home to, after the war with his family and, and made Kolbe known in, in Germany. Then later on, he was arrested. He sent a lot of the friars away at the city, at Neopakalano, the city of the Immaculate. And then he was arrested uh, finally and, and was shipped off to uh, Auschwitz. And from that place, so there is no return. I mean, you went there basically to be worked to death or to be executed immediately. He was there for several months, heroically working with the prisoners, hearing confessions, saying the rosary, uh, giving little talks, all of which he could have been executed immediately if he mm. got caught. But by August in 1941, uh, there, uh, there was a, a problem when, when a prisoner escaped or a number of prisoners, if the prisoners were not recaptured, for every man who uh, escaped and wasn't recaptured, 10 prisoners were, were uh, picked out to die in the starvation bunker, mm -hmm. deprived of, of water and uh, food 
which is a terrible way to die. Most men go insane before that because it's incredibly painful. So they were made to stand in the sun, his whole block where the prisoner had escaped. And they were made to stand in the sun. And then at the end of the day, the commandant went through the ranks and picked out 10 men. The last man to, and, and no one up to that, and what Maximilian was about to do had never happened before and never happened again. So he tapped the last man and the began, man became hysterical. He said, I have a wife, I have children, who's mm. gonna take care of them? And then Maximilian, St. Maximilian did something extraordinary. He stepped out of ranks, walked to the front of the formation, walked in front of the commandant, stood maybe 10 feet away, all of which you could be shot on sight or they would set the dogs on you who would tear you to pieces. And he, and but everybody froze, the guards froze, the commandant froze because no one had ever done that before. Exactly. And he asked the commandant, may I take this man's place? Uh, the commandant was still speechless for a while. And then he said, who are you? Yeah. Now, that was the question that St. Maximilian kept asking uh, the Immaculata, who are you, old Immaculata? So he, he should have answered his number, 16670. 16670. He doesn't do that. He no. says, I am a Catholic priest. Like a superhero. Yes, exactly. And the commandant says, ah, yes. Uh, and he, he added that he was an old man and couldn't work much more. And why not mm -hmm. keep this healthy man? And Common says, oh, yes, you're kind. We, we want to get rid of you. So he was chosen. They were marched down to this underground bunker in, in the bottom of a cell, uh, a big house for where the prisoners were kept. And instead of the prisoners going mad, cursing God, cursing their mother, cursing the day that they were born. Mm -hmm. He, by prayer and by confession, he taught them hymns. They sang, they prayed together. They made their peace with God. They died like dignified men that they were. Yes. Emaciated, filthy, dirty, but they died like dignified men. And St. Maximilian was one of the last to die. Yeah. An amazing thing because he was so sick because of tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. Every time the guards would come in to carry the prisoners every day, they would say to him, you, you put your eyes on the ground because they couldn't stand the, the look of love that he gave them, mm -hmm. his executioners. Mm -hmm. And finally, they gave him a, an injection of carbolic acid to stop yes. his And of course, he was burned and joined the millions of others, uh, ashes scattered throughout the countryside there at uh, Auschwitz. He actually offered this arm, I believe, to, uh, to the person who would inject the drug. It is. Yeah. And the, and the guards after that said, there was no one ever like Never him. Never seen anybody like him. And all the other concentration camps throughout that kind of vast array of concentration heard about this. And everyone drew a certain amount of strength that that even though they were imprisoned and many would most would die, they understood their dignity then and they could die like men. Mm. You know, John, I believe that 
St. Maximilian lived the virtue of redemptive suffering. And this is one of the things that I actually mentioned in my podcast, that there is joy in suffering. I mean, we know that uh, St. Maximilian suffered um, from tuberculosis, his difficult living situation, especially in Auschwitz. Um, he offered his life for somebody else. This joy in suffering actually stems from his love to the Immaculata because we know that Mary had a unique and subordinate participation in Christ's work of redemption. So um, is redemptive suffering a part of his Marian teaching? Well, certainly, uh, because of all the disciples of Jesus, she's one of the few that accompanied him Mm -hmm. to the cross and was witness to that. and, Mm -hmm. And... uh, suffered along with him to see not her only son dying on the cross, but certainly by this time she knew that he was the savior of the yeah. world and that we sinners were killing our only hope. So uh, Maximilian, well, first of all, let's talk just a briefly bit about suffering. Suffering is one of the most absurd things that we're faced with. Mm. We have a great desire for happiness Mm -hmm. and for well-being and everything else, which, of course, is a good thing. It's a natural thing. It's planted in the human heart. Mm -hmm. But suffering came into the world as a result of sin. Mm -hmm. And and, and now suffering is seen as something to be avoided, uh, something which is absurd. What's the purpose of it? It's just painful. And it's particularly painful to watch the suffering of the innocent. But Christ changed that, all of that. He took all of the pain associated with human life, betrayal, uh, hatred, uh, indifference to him, uh, and all the pain and suffering. And he took upon all of our sins on the cross and died a shameful death. And therefore, he elevated suffering as an act of love because Amen. we're all going to suffer. I mean, you're a parent, you have young children, you know that to love means to suffer because the selfish ego in us dies slowly. And, and when our children get sick, we suffer as much as they do because we would, if we could, we would take the suffering upon ourselves. So Christ transformed suffering into a redemptive act that we can offer it for the for our own sins and for the sake of the poor sinners throughout the world and for the sake of those still being purified in purgatory. So now the most absurd thing in the world has been turned upside down so that it can be redemptive mm-hmm. and, and that he was willing to take that suffering upon himself. Now, of course, if there's suffering that we can alleviate, if we have a disease and we can take a cure, okay. But there's so much suffering, even in daily life, Mm -hmm. that if we take that upon ourselves and offer it in, with, and through the sufferings of Christ, it becomes part of the redemption of the world. Mm -hmm. 1917 was a different year. You, you've mentioned this before. We, we had the First World War, of course, which began in 1914. The Freemasons in 1917 were celebrating their 200th anniversary. There was a rise in atheism in Europe. 1917 was also the 400 years since the beginning of Reformation from Martin Luther King. And of course, R- Russia became a communist country in 1917. Now, 
Heaven's response was to send Mary to Fatima, Portugal. Hence, we have the Fatima apparition. And that's when we received the peace plan. But once, what some Catholics don't know is there was a second response from heaven. And that also happened in 1917. It was through St. Maximilian Kolbe. And in, in any peace plan, we need, we need an army. So in 1917... Um, In October, three days after the final um, apparition of Our Lady in Fatima, St. Maximilian founded the Militia of Makalata. So, John, could you tell us about what the MIS? The MIS is a uh, uh, an or- spiritual organization uh, defined by the Church. Uh, a, uh, uh, <laughs> I'll think of it in a minute. There's a formal declaration of what it is, a pious association <laughs> of the faithful. Mm. Um, kind of a mouthful. But St. Maximilian was a young seminarian, not ordained a priest yes. yet. Uh-huh. And he began to see these huge demonstrations of the people mm-hmm. of the Freemasons in Italy. Hundreds of thousands of people uh, at war with the Pope, uh, holding signs up. The Pope will be the altar boy of Satan. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Satan will reign in, in the Vatican as, as the king of the world. I think in a flash. Maximilian saw that uh, Europe and North America and Russia, of course, under communism, was going to be sorely tempted by secularism, by the attempt to build a world without any reference to God whatsoever. Uh, And he founded this army because he could see that it was going to take something like the strength of soldiers who have to face death mm-hmm. uh, to, to, with their zeal to, and the courage to oppose this. Now, how do we know that he was right about that? Well, Europe is no longer Christian. Mm-hmm. They, they established, when they established the European Union, the Pope, John Paul and Benedict asked them to include in their constitution a reference to their Christian heritage. Mm-hmm. They refused that's true europe has turned its back on its christian heritage russia is slowly recovering from 70 years of atheism i can tell you for north america uh, i don't i i can't give you an estimate of percentages but i would say america is 50-50 those who understand god and those who want to build a world without mm. god we're teetering on the on the balance uh the media has totally gone over to mm-hmm. but john paul said it well before he became pope he was interviewed and he said we are facing the great crisis of history the yeah. war between the the word and the anti-word between the gospel and the anti-gospel maximilian saw this in 1917 and form an army a spiritual army fighting with spiritual weapons To, to fight the menace of a godless world. One of the weapons of this army is consecration to Mary, am I correct? Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Now, how did St. Maximilian define Marian consecration? Marian consecration is the total gift of self to the Immaculata because her will is the will of God. And we mm-hmm. place ourselves entirely in her hands to guide us, direct us, and lead us uh, to the knowledge and love of her son But also, and this is where he differs slightly from other total consecrations. Mm-hmm. Now you have an obligation 
to spread total consecration and the Catholic faith to the rest of the world. So he's kind of the precursor to the to the new evangelization that the church has been talking about since yeah. Vatican II. When the church herself recognized, look, Western civilization and the whole world has to be completely re-evangelized. The church has to be re-evangelized. The world has to be evangelized because it simply lost mm -hmm. the horizon of God's, God's presence. Now, St. Louis-Marie de Montfort talked about being slaves of Mary, and St. Yes. Maximilian talked about being properties of Mary. So what's the difference, yes. John, and how do we become a property of Mary? Well, each of, this, each of those great Marian saints mm -hmm. uh, wanted to express the totality of the gift of ourselves. You know, yes. this, is, this is not just a kind of a whim or off-the-wall off the comment or or just, oh, I'm moved to do this and then forget about it. He said, no, this has to be a true fundamental gift of self to a lady, to place ourselves entirely in her hands. Uh, simply said, how does one make a total consecration according to uh, the formula of St. Maximilian Kolbe? Uh, one has to prepare oneself in America Mm -hmm. We can send you some copies. We have a little booklet called uh, Behold Your Mother, a kind of a, a, a pamphlet-sized way to prepare mm -hmm. ourselves through prayer yeah. and study to understand what total consecration is, the gift of self to the other, mm -hmm. to Mary, and her gift of herself to us. Mm -hmm. and, and then perhaps on one of her Marian feast days, which occur throughout the year, one can make it oneself. There's a formula in the back of the book. Or, better yet, uh, to talk to the pastor, evangelize him about total consecration, and make it in front of him. And then the exterior sign of this is to wear the miraculous medal, Amen. which Our Lady gave, uh, which is basically the miraculous medal, is a picture of the Immaculate Conception. Mm -hmm. Her on the front, crushing the head of the serpent, and on the back, the cross and Mary, and the two hearts united uh, for the salvation of the world. Mm. So it's not rocket science. It's pretty simple. John, I just want to say to everybody before we go ahead, we're not saying that um, one is better than the other. We're not saying that St. Louis or St. Uh, Maximilian Maximilian no. is better than, than no. each other. We're just, we just want to say that there will never be a competition between St. Maximilian and St. Louis Marie de Montfort. Same as there would never ever be a competition between Mary and Jesus because Mary knows her place. She knows that she is um, human was used by God as an instrument, and she knows that Jesus, her son, is God and is son of God. Now, St. Maximilian himself said, and this was taken from Colby writing number 1220, we may consecrate ourselves to Mary using any formula, provided that we subordinate our will to adhere to her commands, which are presented to us in the commandments of God and the church, in the duties of our state, and in our interior inspirations. Now, in other words, um, Marian consecration, an authentic Marian consecration should lead us to love of God, love of our neighbor, and fear of offending God. What, what are your thoughts about this, John? That's exactly, I mean, what he, what he said about his cities of the Immaculate goes for lay people who make a total consecration. Mm -hmm. He called his little cities of the Immaculate, those friaries, totally consecrated, a school for saints. Mm -hmm. And 
Catholics, all Catholics should do this. All Catholics should make up their mind. I do not want to make to allow myself to become a mediocre Catholic. Mm. Our Lord had words about that. He said, the lukewarm I will spit out of my mouth. Mm. So either be hot or cold. Yeah. And I think the whole message of Vatican II and that section on the universal call to holiness is that Catholics, again, have to aspire to mm. say to ourselves, each one of us individually and honestly has to say, do I really want to be a saint? And if so, what are the gifts that God gave me? Of course, the church, the holy sacraments, particularly the Eucharist and confession, but also at the foot of the cross, he gave us Mary, his mother. And we should take advantage of that gift. Using some of the words of, of uh, St. John Paul from his mm. theology of the body, uh, Ted, he talked about in there about the love between man and woman as it is intended by God, love and truth. Yeah. He talked about the total gift of self mm -hmm. of the man and the woman to each other, so much so that they become one flesh. Amen. Holiness is about the total gift of self to God, the first commandment. I shall love God with the whole heart, my whole soul, my whole strength, and my neighbor as myself. I think this is a call to Catholics after Vatican II, to all of us have to, have to ask for the desire to become saints and to use the means available to us, in this case, total consecration, uh, to become the saint God wants us to be. That was actually the, the prayer of Jesus in the book of John. I mean, Jesus Christ prayed that we become one as Christ and God, God the Father, are also one. Now, John, um, I just want to go through the practical side of things for with regards to this uh, method of Marian consecration. Do you think um, this method is better done as an individual or within a group? Well, a group is always good because that's a lot of people totally consecrated themselves. But... Mm -hmm. Being in how Christians are now dispersed throughout the world, yeah. uh, I think ideally, you asked a very simple, direct question. Ideally, it would be with a group. Mm -hmm. So you get a sense that, that this is a group of knights of the Immaculata joining together to An fight army. the world. Yeah. However, being because of the dispersal of the Christians throughout a culture, which in many times is alien to them, which is in opposition to them, making a total consecration individually, but it helps to go to an English-speaking website like the one in America that you mentioned, mm -hmm. so that we could continually be fed the, on the writings of St. Maximilian, on the, the conversion stories of others, on initiatives that the other Knights of the Immaculate are doing. So it's, it's a slow building of community, uh, a communion of saints, so to speak. Now, on the final day of consecration, do we need a priest? Not necessarily. Okay. It, it's recommended that we go to Mass, a confession and Mass before we do it. Mm -hmm. We could do it uh, certainly by ourselves individually. It's helpful to have a priest, have him bless the miraculous medal and uh -huh. put on it. And by the way, in our national uh, headquarters in, in Illinois here, which you know about, we have on hand always a load of 70,000 miraculous medals, wow. which we send to people for a free will offering. We've, people want miraculous medals. We have a miraculous medals. Mm -hmm. 
because yeah, that, that was one of the weapons of Saint Maximilian. He was actually giving out miraculous medals for free. Yeah. yeah. And we encourage our knights in America to to carry a pocket full of miraculous medals. There you go. And <laughs> hand them out to people. I've never had anyone refuse one, to tell you mm. the truth. Mother yeah. Teresa of Calcutta, Saint Teresa of Calcutta, her nuns carry in their little pocket uh, on their belt, they carry a rosary and a bunch of miraculous medals to hand out to people. Mm -hmm. So two great saints to do it. I believe there are three levels in the membership of the MI. Yes. Uh, there are certainly those who are totally consecrated. Uh -huh. uh, these would be uh, secular institutes like the mm -hmm. Father Colby missionaries, yeah. uh, Franciscans, uh, uh, pe people in that. that then the, the lowest one is the one most of us participate in. Mm -hmm. uh, we are married, so we can't we can't join a friary and print Knights mm -hmm. of the Immaculata. Our our job in our state of life is to get ourselves and our family to heaven, and and all of those around us that we have is, uh, dealings with. So, uh, and of course, there's a second middle tier, the third yes. second group are, are people who get together in a group for a special work. Mm -hmm. Like these little villages yes. would be something like MI2. Mm -hmm. St. Maximilian lived in a time of war. He fought against Freemasons, socialism, and the godlessness of the society. We're actually living in a time of war right now between Russia yeah. and Ukraine. And I believe that the, the, the enemies of St. Maximilian and the MI are actually still present in this guise, in, in this very day and age. So how relevant is Marian consecration in our present time and especially the work of the MI. When I left Vietnam, where there was a, a hot war going on, mm -hmm. I, I came back to America, and what I discovered spiritually was the war was in America. Mm. The war is in Europe. The war is in China. Uh -huh. The war is all over the world because our age-old adversary, the devil, has gained control of so much of the organs of the media, movies, everything else, it's real war. Uh, look at the collapse of so many moral structures, mm -hmm. the threatened collapse of the family in the modern world. Uh, John Paul wrote that wonderful document on the family, mm -hmm. several documents on the family. And so what we have to do is take a page out of C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings. We are at war. It's yeah. always at war with the devil. Uh, it's it's not a war with bullets and explosives and anything else, but it is nonetheless a deeply serious war that we have to joyfully enter into to roll back the darkness and to be children mm -hmm. of light, as the Gospel of John says. Be the light of the world and overcome the darkness. John, before we end, what do you want to say to the members of the MI and those who want to become a member of the MI? Well, my dear M.I. Knights, we are at war. I applaud you for your courage, for your faith, for your steadfastness. Do not grow tired. Mm. Like Maximilian, constantly say to yourselves, forward, 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 onward, onward, onward. There's time enough to rest in heaven, but not here. Up here. Yeah. And would you like to invite our viewers to join the MI? 
I cordially invite you can take this as your formal invitation. Do yourself a favor, do the world a favor, make a total consecration to Our Lady, and you will, in a new and fundamental way, become the light of the world that the world so desperately needs. I invite all of you to join and make your total consecration. It will make you so happy. Our friends, it has definitely changed my life, Marian Consecration. John, thank you very much for sharing with us your love for St. Maximilian, of course, our Blessed Mother. You know, my dear friends, there's so many things to unpack. We haven't even talked about the Miraculous Medal, St. Maximilian's teaching about the Holy Trinity, or even his devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. But yeah, we do hope that after today, you will make an act of consecration to our Blessed Mother. I'd like to um, end this with a message from St. Maximilian from uh, Colby writing number 149. And he said this, O Immaculata, for your mercy, I consecrated all my life to you. I worked for you. For you, I suffered. And now I die for you. I am yours. What peace, what serene joy will fill our hearts in the hope of seeing her. You know what, friends, I'm really passionate about what I do in this podcast. And I'm sure Jean and the members of the MI do more because we hope that one day when we leave this life on earth, we want to face our Blessed Mother. We want to face Mary and tell her that we've done everything we could to serve Jesus through her and with her, through Mary and with Mary for the glory of the Holy Trinity. John, shall we close with a Hail Mary? Please, Father. Please, Ted. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now, at the hour of our death. Amen. John, thank you very much. Thank you every, very much, everybody. Never, ever forget that Mary loves all of us. And of course, Jesus loves all of us. John, thank you so much. And we will pray for you. We will pray for all the members of the MI. And we hope that you would join the, the, the MI, the Militia Immaculata. And of course, do a total consecration of your lives to Jesus through Mary. God bless. Thank you for listening. If you have been blessed with this episode, please click the subscribe button. Ave Maria.